Welcome back to the Real World Podcast, everybody. We've dusted off Mike and Matt's excellent adventures, uh, where we break down every X-Men movie ever made, and then some other stuff. And in order to do that, you need two ingredients. You need a mic, and you need a mat. And mic could mean microphone in this case, because we're doing a podcast, but we're not going there. We're not taking that low-hanging fruit. I am Matt Waters on the second half of Mike and Matt's excellent adventures. The first and better half, because he owns the domain. Uh, Mike Thomas, what's going on? It's a breezy uh, afternoon for you, I think, this time. We normally record a little bit later in the day. Yes, and uh, you don't have to stay up until the uh, the a.m. to record. <laughs> that must be nice. It, it's not bad. Now I have a job. It, it, those those recordings have been a little bit less uh, kind of Energized? Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel it the next day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's the afternoon. It's It's spring. It's... It's hot. It's, un- it's annoyingly hot already. It was really hot in England uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was real bad. Uh, yeah, so, welcome to the real world. We, uh, we talk about films here. Many and of the weather. Them, and the weather. And uh, many other things. Many of them are superhero films. Uh, check out all of the stuff we did all of Batman, uh, the Tape Crusaders miniseries. Enter the real world.com, uh, soundcloud.com slash Matt. FuturamaRama.net, Matt's secret side project that's launching like this week, I think, maybe. Anyway, Legion. We're going to talk about Legion. A justification to talk about X-Men for potentially the last time in a long time. Because uh, they do not seem to have their shit together in the X-Universe. See well, if we're the... going to be breaking down Gifted week by week, obviously, in the fall. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> the motion uh, comic version of Gifted. Wait, but you know there's an actual TV show coming, right? Oh yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah, I'm I'm very out of it. Like, I watched that Thor trailer, and that just took all of my brain. And now I'm talking to you, so my IQ drops fifty points straight away. That was uncharacteristically mean. Uh, let's talk about leeches. <laughs> it's very mean. Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. You're very intelligent for an American. There you go. Your over- your overlords are a baby and a frail old woman. Calm down. Fair enough. Uh, so, Legion. This is a... Uh, it was announced... I don't even know how long ago now, but when it was announced that Fox were going to get into the TV game, partner up with Marvel a little bit more officially, and uh, tell the story of uh, David Haller, famously Professor Xavier's son. That's not a spoiler, that's just who he is. Come on now. I don't actually really remember my initial thoughts on the announcement. It wasn't until they dropped the first trailer... I don't even know how long ago now, like six months ago, something like that. I started getting quite excited. Uh, it is from Noah Hawley of uh, Fargo fame. So I guess if you, uh, unlike me, had actually seen Fargo when this was announced, you probably would have been a little bit more excited. Uh, I have now seen Fargo, but at the time I was like, okay, sure. Um, so yeah, it had quite a lot of hype, and it's uh, in some ways there's a bit of a narrative around this that it's going to save the X-Men in, in certain ways. Uh, do you remember much about like your initial reaction to this announcement, etc.? It, it didn't sound particularly great, but the Fargo showrunner was enough to sell me on it. Sure. You know, like the cast didn't blow me away. Mm. Actually, I, I did forget Aubrey Plaza was on it, so that probably would have... <laughs> un- that pro- forgetting that probably unfairly dampened my enthusiasm. But uh, it, it wasn't something I was excited for, just more just like intrigued clearly was going to watch kind of thing yes 
Yes, yes, yes. And uh, fast forward to uh, a few weeks ago when the first episode debuted and one of the more talked about new shows I've uh, come across in a while. Uh, I feel like almost everyone was going, oh, did you see Legion? Or Legion's supposed to be really good. And I... I don't think I actually watched it for like a week or two. I think you were like quite late too. I think you've sort of marathoned the whole thing, but uh, it certainly yeah. had a fair bit of buzz. Uh, certainly coming out of that first one. Yeah, I, I marathoned like episodes one through five, and then I did six through eight basically at the end. Mm. So I, I didn't get to I didn't get that week to week experience that some people had, but sure. I did at least read and hear about the buzz. Like there was, it was kind of weird. It wasn't. For the most part, it wasn't like this, oh my god, can you believe what happened last night, Buzz? There was just almost like this steady stream of, Legion's pretty good, you should watch it, Buzz, through the yes. entire eight weeks. That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's very different to, yeah. uh, obviously on TV right now, you've got Arrow, The Flash, Gotham, those other bullshit shows, Legends of Tomorrow. That's probably a good show, I don't know, I've never seen it. Uh, I've heard good things intermittently about all those shows. Sure. I was super into Arrow for like a season and a half. I kept watching for another season and I was like, nope, done. And Flash lost, lost me like halfway through its first season. But, you know, there, there are TV shows on superhero themed, even Marvel ones, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., etc. And this is very different to those, would be the most obvious thing you could say. I don't want to be reductive, but it is kind of a more sophisticated show than all of those, which are a little bit, you know, several of those are on the CW, which, uh, you know, that immediately tells you things. But this is, you know, this is a Noah Hawley-ass show, I would say. Like, it definitely has that vibe to it. It's not quite as, it's not Fargo, but it certainly has some common elements with it, I would say. And I think that most the biggest common element it feels distinct and it feels like it knows exactly what it wants to be. That's what it's going to be, and you know you can feel a voice throughout the entire thing. Yes, it, it feels like a a project from a creator, not like by committee or anything. Yeah, like Agent of Shield always felt like a camel. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. um, I did like Agent Carter. I only, I only saw the first season, but I did like that. Mm. But. Whenever I've dabbled in these other shows, they haven't. There just wasn't enough there to justify the commitment. Yeah. And even with Legion, we'll get into more detail in a bit. But while I, I wasn't enamored with the first half of the show, I was like, I could tell there's going to be. This is something to keep going with. Yeah, uh, they're telling you a story. They're not just yeah. filling episodes week to week, right? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's a difficult task to talk about you know, eight hours of television in the length of one of our normal episodes, but we're going to give it a go. I, I, the hardest question, I guess, would be, like, what are your... I mean, you've kind of hinted at this, that you weren't super into it through the first half. Where did you land on it in, like, the broadest terms possible? Like, how much did you like it? I think the final two or three episodes was when the show fell into a space that I would enjoy the most. Particularly, I think actually my favorite bit from the show was with Hamish Linklater in season eight. And basically, I mean, episode eight. And episode eight basically starts entirely with this one side interrogator character from episode one and maybe episode two, who mm-hmm. we revealed is not dead, uh, has a, you know, is a human being with a life. And we follow him and his path in the, in the meanwhile, what happened with him for the past six episodes yeah. kind of thing. 
and that felt very far going. That little intro, yeah, yeah, and you know, just the fact that they spe- like you know you had this incredibly mysterious first season of a show, and they spent the first ten minutes with the character. Probably very few people remembered, and you know, <laughs> most people were probably confused. You're like, oh, well, that's clearly Doctor Doom's assistant from Fantastic Four one. But you know, <laughs> the show did a really good job of like letting him not be held down by that by that issue. But uh, I, I just like that whole story. I'm just like, this makes this show not only stand out, but this makes this corner of the universe stand out from pretty much every other superhero universe. Which is in that ten minutes, we learn far more about this. It would be a strong word in the beginning, but certainly a mysterious character who was on a side that was clearly actively holding down our protagonist. He was and not David's all, friend. <laughs> yes. He was not a friend of David. He was not an ally of David. And only a TV show could have really the time to do that. And only a good TV show would decide to do that. Yes. And I think once we entered that space where there was a little bit more forward momentum with the plot, where we started to flesh out with some of these other characters, that was where I was kind of like locked in mm. and really like enjoying every moment. The first five episodes or so... I was kind of watching it like 75% attention. Like I was watching enough so I knew what was going on, but I was like, too much of this feels like stuff I don't need to retain. And the whole premise of a lot of the show is, or underlying kind of thought throughout a lot of the show is, what you're seeing right now might not be actually what's happening. Yes, the the first episode particularly felt very... You don't know what's going on, fuck you. (laughs) And I actually... I. I didn't love that first episode because it's it felt intentionally inaccessible. Like they were going out of their way to be like, "Who knows what's going on, man? Who knows?" Yeah, I was into it quicker than you, but I do agree. Like that, those first few are a little bit like you're waiting. And to a certain degree, like it's almost kind of worth it when I think they get to episode seven or eight. A lot of the show blends together, runs together for me, unfortunately. So I'm going to okay. be screwing that up a lot. Uh, but David seems to doubt that what he's experiencing is real. And he's talking about, like, you know, one of the, one of the most dangerous aspects of schizophrenia is actually believing you don't have it. Yes. Or stuff yes, like that. Yes, and so that is a genuinely ter- terrifying thought. And mm. that is probably more terrifying within the context of this show when so much of the first half of the show felt very like, what the fuck is going on? Uh-huh. Is this scene real? Is this scene real? Is that scene real? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And but like- a lot of it jumps. They play around with like, the time frame as well. Like, are we? Yes. What, is this a flashback? Was yes. it a flash forward before? Like, and like, so that moment is more terrifying because of the yeah. build up. The build up, though, isn't more satisfying. I don't think the build up's more satisfying in retrospect. But it's more like, okay, well, at least we paid that off. <laughs> you know, if we were going to do that, like you did it the right, like you did it for a good reason. But maybe, like, I almost, it's funny, because eight episodes kind of feels like the perfect length for a lot of shows. Uh, I almost wish it was a little bit shorter. I think maybe six would have been a little bit better, but that's really nitpicky in the grand scheme. I mean, I'll sign up for eight episodes a season of any show all day. Every day. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. I'll take, I'll take eight over 22. <laughs> yeah, especially when you compare it to Netflix, which is uh, contractually, contractually obligated to do 13 because of like some deal with the with New York City to actually film in the city, oh. which is why Daredevil 
Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, and the one everyone hates. Iron Fist are is all good, cr- everyone. Iron Fist is good. Don't listen oh, to my Thomas' lies. Matt, Don't listen. I'm not even watching it, and I know you're wrong. You're not. No, I, that's not true. Literally Google it. There are so many people out there like, actually, everyone's wrong. Iron Fist is good. People got a hold of those first few. Someone really... The first episode's shitty. They got this narrative built. And then suddenly it's like, oh, everyone, have you heard Iron Fist is shit? No one actually fucking actually watched the fucking thing. It gets really good. Anyway. I'm going to have to watch it now just to tell you. You are. But anyway, let's see. You're going to watch the first uh, episode and tell me I'm wrong and then stop watching it. And you're going to feel you're right. I watched, the first ten, I watched the first ten minutes and I knew I was right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so like, I'll sign up for eight episodes all day. Yes. Like, I don't want to like say, oh, I, can't, I don't want to be complaining about that too much. But I do think... There was probably like six, six and a half hours. A six, six and a half hour version of this eight hour show would be a little bit tighter, and I would prefer that a little bit. But uh, yeah, overall, it ended in a very satisfying place. It ended in a very intri- intriguing place. It ended on a cliffhanger, obviously, uh, in, in a variety of ways. Comic books. <laughs> I think the ensemble. They could focus, not focus a little bit more, but I, I, I would like to know a little bit more about the the little team they got going there. Yes, definitely. Um, it, and they seemed committed to them in like the first few episodes. Then they just decided, fuck it, we don't have time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel, yeah, this is a good place to get into this, like the cast and everything. Um, like the the show is about David Haller, who is a schizophrenic mutant. He has many, many powers. He also has many, many uh, personalities in his head. And it's in the first episode, he's in a institution of some kind. He has broken out. Oh, no, he escapes. Sorry. Um, and then he's also been taken in by this shady government facility. And then he's broken out of that by this team of do-gooder mutants. And it's just sort of a journey about... Getting into the head of David, finding out exactly what happened in his past, trying to help him control his powers, there are people coming for him, blah, 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 it builds, you find things out. But I feel this more so than a lot of what we've been watching recently, it's important to talk about the cast, and yeah, let's just just go from the top down. Uh, So Dan Stevens plays David Haller. Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey fame. Uh, he's also the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. So quite a high-profile year for him, I suppose. Um, I thought he was really good. Um, I, For someone who like isn't really on my radar until this, I thought he was, was pretty great. Uh, the accent work was, was good. I enjoyed the scene they did where he was talking to himself with his normal voice and his actor voice. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought he was great. I thought he sold every bit of it. Yeah, I think my favorite scene is him. Uh, it's probably the same scene, but it's him in the classroom yes, trying the, to figure it all out. The chalkboard that's, scene is amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's where I messaged you, and I was like, the show just got good, the show just got good, the show just got good. <laughs> and, um, and I do think part of that's also tied to the fact that as the show actually does not exist within a vacuum and explores the, a little bit more of the fun side of, you know, mutants with cool powers yes and like the x-men universe in whatever way they want to explore it i do think the more i will personally enjoy the show but i also kind of recognize they don't really need to go there in any way but that's just that's just a personal preference yeah well noah hawley he he did it again like i swear when fargo first appeared 
he was, I don't know if he explicitly said, but the narrative was, this is just an adaptation or, or a, re, a remake or whatever. And then it's like, no, it's a fucking direct continuation. And I feel he did it again here where there seemed to be a narrative of, this isn't connected, no one's anyone. And then, oh, bam, this is a straight up X-Men story. He is who you think he is, etc. Yeah, and I think I remember reading at one point he said, like, we have to, like, earn our connection with it. Like, we can't just, like, mm. shove stuff in there, expect people to care about it or expect us to be considered relevant and they probably gave just enough i mean that's basically like two shots of a distant memory of of xavier's wheelchair that's basically the only connection we have Mm. but it was probably just enough of a tease that if they want to explore it more if there's a path to doing that they probably should definitely but yeah dan stevens I i i thought was just super good in selling I don't think he went too over the top with... Because, you know, you're dealing with a character that has a mental illness, so you're walking on thin ice from the get-go. I think he remained likeable throughout and troubled without being, you know, like, hashtag troubled or whatever. Yeah, I I thought he was was a perfect choice for this uh, because he's kind of unassuming but also immediately likeable and everything. Yeah, he he did very well. It did very well. Uh, he was paired opposite uh, Rachel Keller of Fargo fame uh, as Sidney Barrett, which is a not in any way subtle Pink Floyd reference there from Noah Hawley. And she was kind of like... Because when it... At first, it they were trying to very much keep it separate from the films. Because I was instinctively looking out for characters. Like, oh, this person is this person. And they were going out of the way to not do that and be like, look, these are all our original creations, etc. It was like... Sid is basically rogue on steroids where she touches someone and they swap bodies. And it's... Yeah, she was... I, I thought she was also great. I think they were really good together. They had this like really sweet chemistry where, you know, because of her power, she doesn't like to be touched. It's not like rogue where like you can't touch her because you'll be injured. Uh, it was just she was phobic of this happening against her will. So they, they found all these cute get-arounds like they're they're standing in a reflection and like they're lining up their reflections so that they're kissing or whatever. And it's, I, I thought they were just a really sort of nice little couple. And, uh, I thought she was intriguing as well. Yeah. She's a, she's a good actress. She's really good on Fargo. Yeah. She doesn't, I, I, I think to a certain extent, she's still a bit of a mystery as a character. And yeah, but there's some sort uh, of, there's a few sort of unexplained mechanisms about how her power works I feel that they really oh, sort of sure. they sort of really strain towards the end of the series where it's like but shouldn't they have just swapped but they didn't but. you know like she still mostly just exists for David I would like to see like who she is a little bit more in the next season like sure like what's her life like and I think that will be less annoying but you know good actress a decent enough role for now. Hopefully, uh, more to come. Well, like I really liked the scenes where they go into David's head and she's interacting with like the child representation of him, for ex- for example. Uh, like, there's a scene where they're in basically a horror movie haunted house that's built up of his memories, and she's trying to keep this young version of David safe while they're running room to room. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite scenes, they run into a room and it's adult David having sex with his, his ex-girlfriend while he, and just the way she played that of like, she's embarrassed because she's walked in on something she's not supposed to see. She's jealous. She's hurt. It's weird. There's the young version of him there that she feels conscious about. I, I just thought that scene was really well played by her. And 
Yeah, she does mostly just kind of exist for David, but I think the few instances where you see her taking a little bit more charge in his absence, uh, I thought she I thought she did those well, and I, yeah, I, I'd look forward to seeing what more they can do with her. Yeah, I think you make a great point. So the groundwork is set for yes. there to be a lot more to do with her. Let's hope they follow through yeah. on that. I would almost really like to see, potentially even as the first episode of Series 2, I'd like to see the support team planning to rescue David and like how they did that. Because you follow David almost entirely through this show. You're very rarely apart from him. And particularly in that first episode, like these people just appear. And I would kind of like to see how they came together and them talking through going to get David in a way. Because, I don't know, she, she has this mystery to her. Uh, Sid particularly has this mystery to her. Several of the others do. So something like that would intrigue me. A kind of Life Before David episode might be cool. So I, I think <laughs> we've saved until third, but I think for me the biggest talking point on this cast is Aubrey Plaza as as Lenny Busker, as, I mean, spoilers, obviously, we're talking about this whole show. Uh, she's the Shadow King, uh, who is a very famous X-Men villain, particularly Xavier's nemesis. Not something I ever thought I would see adapted in a film anytime soon, and I love that this sort of quite sophisticated TV show beat them to it in terms of adapting that. Been in plenty of the cartoons and stuff. But it was a pretty good reveal. But yeah, Because they, they kind of mess with it a bit. She starts out as David's sort of best friend in the in the Institute. And then she's apparently horrifically murdered when uh, Sid and David swap bodies and she, Sid freaks out using David's powers. And then you get a lot of flashbacks with her, but then it starts to bleed over into being hallucinations in the present, and then the ultimate reveal is she is the Shadow King, who is this parasite living in David's head, feeding on him. And I thought she was an absolute revelation. I did not know she was capable of anything like this. I've only really ever seen her in comedy roles where she's kind of... You know, there's the Aubrey Plaza-like persona. Uh, the only remotely serious thing I'd seen her in before was Safety Not Guaranteed, and even in that, she's kind of leaning into the Aubrey Plaza persona a bit, but this was crazy. Like, she was... You get the impression she was having the absolute time of her life playing this role, just getting to do things that she wouldn't normally, like being quite androgynous and gender-bending with stuff, and uh, doing the sort of horror acting, the sexy acting, the Beetlejuice look... She was all over the place, and I thought she was absolutely tremendous. Yeah, I think it's probably been the most talked about performance, uh, or even probably aspect of the show is her here. So, hmm. uh, you know, I think you captured it perfectly. This is... I, you breakout doesn't feel right to me. Like, she was on yeah, one of the most beloved... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was on one of the most beloved sitcoms for seven years. It's just... Uh, it's a really good showcase for her abilities. And uh, should we talk about the character's fate at all? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel, yeah. like I said, like full spoilers on everything. Yeah, like. yeah. Well, I meant it's like, should we talk about it now? But I was... I felt like the structure of the show was setting it up where the Shadow King had to die at the end of this season. Mm. It, uh, it just felt like so much... The Shadow King was doing so much, it seemed impossible that they could satisfyingly escape with everyone yes. living, including the Shadow King. And I guess the question becomes... Do you are you glad the character lived on to the next season, regardless I, of the fact that we get more Aubrey Plaza as a result? I get what you're saying. I, I feel the answer to this may be that they might have intended for the Shadow King to die, but when they saw 
what Aubrey was doing, they were like, we have to do more with this, so there may be serving that master more than that of the narrative um i agree it kind of it seemed like a weird like get out that that shadow king would continue and go away i i would actually personally hope that doesn't that she doesn't come back for a while like maybe she's teased again at the the end of series two and you have a different antagonist for the because i mean i mean we'll get to jermaine clement in a minute but essentially she she body swaps into uh jermaine clement and he, they drive off into the sunset essentially together to cause trouble, and I, I just, I would hope that it's the case that they're just unseen for. I would hope like almost the entire of the next series, rather than it's just all right. Episode one, they're back. Yeah, did you watch Justified? No, it's one of the many shows that I'm told I need to watch. <laughs> well, one you should watch it. Okay. Uh, except <laughs> except series five, uh, it's pretty bad. Okay. Uh, but the other five seasons are very good. Anyway, you notice how I blended a uh, UK TV terminology, American terminology there, series, sure. season, etc. Sure. Uh, yeah, I like the. We also account. season now because you've just completely dominated our television. But you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. So one of the issues with Justified was that very early on, it became clear that Walt Goggins, he was on the show and he was playing this character. And they had to decide, do we, this is so obviously a breakout character and now, and he's a villain type character, but what do we do? Like, do we, (laughs) do we keep him to the end in in which case it kind of makes things in the middle seem less important. Do we not keep them at the end? Until the end, in which case everything that comes after it is going to seem somewhat of a letdown. And I'm not going to say what happens there, but Legion is kind of quickly... Now, I don't want to say falling into the trap, because it's in, a, in a way it's a, it's a good problem to have. It means you have a character that uh, is really resonating on some level. Yes. But they are definitely now in a bind where they have to decide okay, if we bring Aubrey Plaza back next season, and we bring the Shadow King back next season, and we go all in on the Shadow King again, and then the Shadow King survives again, what the fuck? Like, now, well, I don't, we're, kind of, now we're just kind of spinning our wheels. Yeah, It kind of feels like at this point they kind of need to string the Shadow King along, as you're saying. Yeah. And the Shadow King has to be the end game of the show, however they envision the show ending. Mm. But they can't overdo it they kind of just have to like walk a fine line in the meantime yeah it's it's a problem with villains if you don't do enough you're criticized for not having compelling villains see most superhero movies if you do too good of a job then it's like fans demand more of it but if you give them more of it it's it gets too much i i would argue that perhaps they get out of it a bit because she wasn't operating openly as the villain for like the first half of the show so it's not like we've had eight episodes of villainous Aubrey Plaza like I think it was a reveal in episode five maybe they were teasing it late four I don't know but she certainly wasn't full-on maniacal villain until sort of six seven eight so I still think they will uh, sort of delay the return I think something happens at the end of of, uh, the first series that I think will take the immediate attention and I think uh, you won't see Shadow King again until sort of late. I would rather yeah. they treat it like Kingpin in Daredevil, right? So Kingpin is the nemesis of Series 1, appears in like two episodes in Series 2, maybe even just one. 
It was about three or four, actually. Oh, okay. Well, there's, like, a big Kingpin episode, and then it's reduced to, like, short scenes, you know? Like, he's not, like, the the major factor. Um, I would like to see something like that. And also because you have Orby Plaza now inhabiting uh, Jermaine Clement, that's an excuse to freshen it up a bit, like, change the vibe of the two. I think those two are going to be a tremendous amount of fun together because they're both just these offbeat comedians uh, that just charisma machines uh well he's a charisma machine she's she's got her own unique presence so yeah i i wouldn't want them to oversaturate it but i i i think she was absolutely amazing uh the the kind of weird music video scene they did for her and her getting to like dress like a dude and sit there like talking explicitly about women and stuff as a psychiatrist and then the Bolero scene, which will come up again later, uh, she was great in that as this black and white sort of horror villain. Uh, she, yeah, she was great. I would expect to see her get different kinds of roles because of this going forward. And uh, while I hope it's not too soon, I do hope she does come back here eventually. Yeah, but it is interesting and important to note that the, your example with the King Dan, uh mm-hmm. You know, season two of Daredevil definitely could have used more Kingpin just because the Kingpin worked a lot better than a lot of the other things they had going on. Maybe. Um, but so the key's going to be like, they have to, you know, do what they uh, they otherwise do very well. Yeah. Well, I think Shadow King is, is like their key villain. Yeah. And I think he's the end game because, I mean, if this is Charles Xavier's son and he, the Shadow King is Xavier's nemesis, the logical narrative thing to do would be to have the son finally triumph over. Uh, the nemesis, but we'll see where they go with that. I guess Jermaine Clement would be the next person I'd want to talk about, even if he isn't as regular as the others. So he was fantastic here. There's another guy that sort of, you know, he was known for what he did for a long time, Flight of the Concords, etc. And then in recent years, he's been doing these kind of stranger, less him roles, but... Uh, I loved every single scene he did in in this show as this sort of beatnik poet, sort of 70s swinger-style guy. And particularly, like, the Bolero scene where he's sitting there conducting... I don't even know what the fuck was actually happening in that scene, but I know I like looking at it. And, yeah, I think him as a villain will be an awful lot of fun. Yeah, he does a good job. Uh, you know, I think probably one of the few side plots that's really effective is the fact that uh, his wife or lover when he, in the 70s has been looking for him ever since because he's been trapped in this sort of alternate dimension. The that astral is plane. Place. There you go, sure. Um, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, well, I read it as like an Inception type thing where like he got so addicted to it he got lost in it. Possibly. I, uh, that was when I was just like, nothing you're saying makes sense or is... Yes. Actually, what's happening? I am not retaining any of it. Yeah, they, I think, they, like, they that, do that's have kind of, and the fact that like when they are finally reunited, it doesn't like you know, it's not everything she wanted it to be. Like that's very sad. It's a cool performance. He's as you said, very charismatic. You can't keep your eyes off him when he's on screen. Yes, and um, hopefully, bigger and better things for him in season two. Yeah. I, I definitely am looking forward to those two being on screen together. I think the little car ride scene they did was great. Driving along, uh, listening to, uh, was it Children of the Revolution? Something like that. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was great. So, like, the rest of the cast, I'm going to lump them together because, like you That's said... That's what the show does. Yes, like you said earlier, there is not enough 
work done here to flesh them out. Uh, so you got Bill Irwin as Carrie and Amber Midthunder, which cannot be a real name, uh, as Kerry, which are similar sounding names. They have some sort of thing where she, they are two people in one body. She emerges from him and is like the kick-ass fighter while he's the brains. I think that is a potentially incredibly interesting dynamic you could play with, and they hinted at it here and there, and I wanted a bit more of it and to learn more about them. Uh, they were they were sort of intriguing, but it was very jarring because they just kind of do it. They don't really go. They don't really present it to you as it is. It just it, she just appears sometimes, and it's like I thought you were Carrie. No, I'm Carrie, etc. They were kind of fun, but not enough there. On behalf of Mike and Matt's excellent, adventures, sure, I would like to apologize to the Fort Peck uh, Sioux tribe and the American Indian population in general for Matt saying Amber Mid Thunder is not a real name. But it's okay. We move on. Is that a name you've heard regularly? <laughs> I mean, like, if I saw a name like that, I would assume, oh, probably you know, someone from the, uh, an American Indian background. And, of course, Fair that's enough. exactly what she is. <laughs> All right, then. Fine. That's just that's not a name I've seen written down many a time. I apologize. Matt is racist. Well, Britain, man. Like, we... Anyway. Uh, Gerald... <laughs> Speaking of racism, uh, Jeremiah Harris as Ptolemy. He seems wants to shoot people all the time. <laughs> no, the guy that remembers yeah. being born. He seems like they of the of the cast. He seemed like the one they were gonna maybe make a character. He had a couple of scenes quite early where it's like, okay, this guy's gonna be fun, and then he just almost vanished, and like he showed up when it was necessary, but. Um, no, no, this is the guy that just literally want, he sh- wants to shoot people all the time in the final episodes. I mean, this fine. One, like, he just comes in guns blazing. No, his his friend does that. Uh, Rudy, I think his name is. I don't even know his fucking name, because they never tell you his name, I don't think, out loud. Dude called Brad Mann as allegedly Rudy, I think. Yeah, yeah this ca- this show does not do well by its supporting cast. Like, I thought you were completely just making up this person named Rudy. No, seriously, the the white dude out of the. No, uh... I believe you. I believe you. I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying that yeah. I was like, I had to look. Are you his just name making up? this up to defend yourself because you know I wasn't paying attention? Yes. Uh, no, because I was like talking to friends about this as it was on, and I was like, you know, the dude, and I just I did not know his name. And I was just having to describe, you know, the guy that's in the closet, he got shot, maybe, got stabbed. They, they don't have names. They yeah. they are devices. Yes. Okay, anyway. And then sort of the leader of that little group of, of offshoots, uh, Gene Smart as Melanie Bird, uh, who, I think she was on Fargo, right? Series 2? Was she the Gerhardt? Oh, she was on season 2. Yeah, I about that. Yeah. She was um, a big character in some of the mid-seasons of 24. Ah. Uh, she was uh, quite beloved, actually, as a character on 24. I think she mm. got some Emmy love for it, too, if I'm not mistaken. At, mm. least a nomina- at least a nomination or two. Isn't 24 another one of those shows where it's like Tree Woods? Tree no, Woods? Tree Falls in the Woods. Does it make us... No. 24 was a pretty big deal in America for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, it was... Because it, it was a critical hit, it was a ratings hit, and it had a loud fan base. But it went and on like, for a long time, didn't it? It, it did go on. It did go on for too long. She was a part of the last season that was university beloved. I actually thought it was a pretty bad season of television, but that was, um, you know, Twenty Four was also a pretty bad show, all things considered. But okay. she was a, she was on the last season that was really, really like loved by critics, fans, awards, 
ratings, etc. And I believe she got a nom- Emmy nomination for it. Fair anyway, enough. How was she in this, though? I, I thought she was solid. She didn't get a ton to do. No. She was quite. Uh, she sold the heartbreak of the stuff with uh, her husband Oliver Jermaine yes. quite well. And like I said, that was one of the few like real human things going on, on the sidelines. So I always appreciate that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, this is a really good actress that hopefully once again gets more to do mm-hmm. in whatever is to come. Yes. Because you know, like she's just too talented to be part of the the wallpaper. Yeah. I, I really like the the reveal that there is actually no that there isn't a human body down in the that weird freezer basement room with the diving suit, which we assume is Jermaine Clement's real body, but it turns out there's no one there, and it's some sort of I don't know if it's a lie or or what that she's telling, and also that he is the voice of the computers in the facility, and she talks to him. It's it's a nice little subtle touch, but yeah, I would like to see her do more. That's where I think there should be an episode that is like the crew before David, because I think you need to let, I think she needs to be front and center of that and like tell her story uh, and then her recruiting the others maybe. But who knows what will happen there. Uh, You mentioned Hamish Linklater as as Clark, allegedly he's called, a man who got his face burnt, douchebag from the newsroom. Uh, He's in the big short as well. I thought he was very good. Uh, yeah, he bookends yeah. it. You know, he starts off good, and then he comes back, and he's good. And uh, yeah, great. I don't know how much. I mean, I, I feel he's going to be back. I, I I would be shocked if he wasn't back. They definitely imply that he's going to be a part of things going forward. Yeah. Uh, I think probably one of the favorite comedic moments in the show is when they so season, uh, episode seven ends with this cliffhanger of him showing back up from possibly the dead, for all we know, yes. with this. 100 SWAT team members. <laughs> yeah. Episode 8 starts off with like a flashback catch up on him which lasts I'd say at least 10 minutes. I don't want I don't want to sound like I'm exaggerating. I think it was me, less than that but it felt like a long time. It was this, it was you get a lot of information, yes. you learn a lot about the character. You pop back, you ha- you're back to the standoff. You think something big's about to happen and David just uses telekinetic powers to like wind them all up into yeah. like <laughs> A ball, yeah. and Hamish Linklater sells that so well as like, <laughs> oh fuck. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. I love that um, because this is a superhero show, but they don't frame it as such. And I love when they do actually do something very superhero-y, and they do it in a somewhat casual manner. Like you just have David just sitting there levitating, or wrapping all these people up into a weird like Christmas tree of of bodies and all the crazy shit he can do. And um, when they're watching on CCTV footage as he raids the facility that has his sister, I guess we'll go back and talk about her in a minute, maybe. Who who cares? Um, And just seeing this sort of romp of destruction he's doing as he's dancing through the hallways and, like, fucking everyone up. I love that. I love that they hold back on the powers and then when they use them, they are incredibly impactful or funny or subtle uh, I, lo- I, lo- I love how they handled superhero shit in this series, and I, th- I hope they do more like this. And I'd love to see some of the films tackle it more like this, but the, you know, when you do a film, you are beholden to make it all huge spectacle, so I guess that's not going to happen, but hey. Yeah, but uh, it was good here. It was very good here. Yeah, and... One more, one, more, one more character. One more character. Are you talking about the eye, or are you talking about sister? The sister. The sister, okay. Katie Asselton from The League is the only thing I've ever seen her in. As David's sister, who, uh... She's a weird this one. Is a, 
This is a character that definitely exists and was definitely in the show. Her name is in the credits. Yes. I am 95% sure of those three statements. Okay, good. Uh, what was your read on her in the first episode where he like shows up to stay with her as a character? Like, I was like, is she, is she not a nice woman? I don't know. <laughs> at that point in the show, I was convinced the show was just fucking with me at every 10 seconds yes. that I really was just like... Is there even a sister? <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I refuse to get invested in anything going on until I know what's going on, which probably makes me sound a little close-minded. But there's just so much time in the day, and I don't, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't have time. I don't have time for mindfuckery. I see. And then she just becomes just the thing to rescue after that, and yeah, they give her one scene while she's in there, and then they just forgot she was there. I mean, they were doing a lot of things, uh, all of them very centered on David, so. That both is and isn't an excuse, but yeah, she she was there. Yeah, what she what I, she did do is, I think she helped contribute to. Would you be able to hazard a guess as to when this is set? Because she in particular dresses in a very sort of sixties seventies manner. So that was uh, that was definitely a question I had throughout. They don't commit, and yes. I, I'm guessing that's on purpose. I would say so because they're leaving the door open to sort of connect this two main X-Men, if they so choose. Yeah. Uh, like, there's no hint about how old Xavier is, there's no hint about how long... Now, one thing that I thought that... How long do we think Jermaine Clement's been in the Icebox Astral Plane? Like the number I remember... Well? 20 years at least, Maybe. right? So that would be the latest... The, the first decade of the 2000s, earliest the 80s. So, so I mean, like, there's whole, no way he was his whole vibe like, is quite seven sixties seventies ish. Yeah, so. that's why I'm saying like, and maybe, 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 maybe mm. like a dude in the eighties who refuses to let go. Sure, but that's not. He's definitely not a dude in the nineties who refuses to let go. No. So, like I said, that's why I'm giving it that eighties to first decade two thousands frame, with most likely being eighties or nineties. Mm. Uh, a lot of you know, you can write off a lot of the mutant home as being like, well, they're mutants, they can make better technology for themselves. That felt like a pretty modern setting. Yeah. Well, they always have that get out and stuff like this where it's like, secretly, yeah. there was all this magical technology. But Alfred know. was busy inventing Skype after serving his, <laughs> the cold soup. Uh, but you should see the printers. <laughs> they're terrible. Yeah, I, I like that there is this sort of hanging thread of when is it set, because... I mean, you don't want to set it too far back, or when, if they ever did some sort of David meets the main X Men, it's like, well, he's going to be an old ass man. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But then there's all, like, like it almost definitely like has to be McAvoy, can't be Stewart, sure, kind of thing. So that's a little awkward. Uh, <laughs> Given that those actors are probably the same age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a second, I was like, Matt, I don't understand your joke. McAvoy and Stewart are not the same age. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> I know. Didn't uh, stop them making uh, Quicksilver Michael Fassbender's son when that dude is like not that much younger than Michael Fassbender, no. but never mind. No, that's okay. But I, I don't think they're overly concerned about that particular thing, nor do I think they're are they operating under not delusion, but the the idea that they definitely will, could actually have Xavier on the show. Like I fully expect this show to air completion without ever seeing Xavier. Sure. Uh, that just kind of feels like the vibe. 
of the show is that oh we 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 will we won't actually pay that off in that kind of way. Yeah. Nor do they have to. No. To be clear. It's almost more uh, interesting if they don't. Yeah. So it's hard to say it's impossible to say, but it's uh it's it's neat to speculate about, if nothing else. Yeah, it, it that's the thing. I got a great deal of enjoyment out of the first few episodes trying to connect some things for myself, try and determine when is this taking place, where is this taking place, who is this character, who is that. And ultimately it all turns out to be incredibly straightforward and they're sort of just fucking with people like me who are going to do that. <laughs> and of course then, you know, time gets even more complicated with X-Men in a variety of ways, not yes. the least of which is that the original X-Men film, according to Brian Singer, took place in the not-so-distant future. Yes, like he's on record. Yeah, (laughs) he's on record as saying that. And to me, which I always found that, to me, there was always something a little retro about it. So I always, I always pictured like early '90s, mid '90s X Men, but uh, for that one, but so like I think it was like released. Well, it was released in like 2000. I was 2000. I always took it to be set in like like the mid. Like 2006, 2008, something like that. Yeah, I don't know, something like that. Like not ridiculously in the future, but definitely in the future. So that kind of messes with it a little bit. Like then there's the whole. I mean that that brings up a whole slew of questions yeah. with the other films. I feel this entire back. avenue of conversation is one of the things that's good about Legion. It just what it just exists. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Like and um, and also like it, it it just doesn't matter. Like you said, like it really it doesn't matter. But it's kind of like ooh, I wonder how this jigsaw puzzle could fit together if it was ever going to fit together. Exactly. Like they they kind of. Everything is in play, but it also doesn't. You don't have to sit there thinking about it all if you don't want to. Like, I feel you could watch this knowing nothing about X Men and still enjoy it, like fully. There's, there's nothing. And if you, and if you like X Men and you understand the the few references they do make, cool. But I think that was that was probably the mission when Noah Hawley set out to make this is to make it accessible to people who aren't you know you and me and i don't have a clue how this did numbers wise and like in terms of just wider cultural penetration i know the first episode got a lot of people talking i don't know if this is a thing that is a viable hit show Um, ratings fell in i want to say half yes they actually literally fell in half they went from 1.62 to 0.81 from premiere to finale wow all right then. Yeah. There you go. Uh, question answered. I guess it so, will be way more superheroy next season. Following FX for a long time, because I really have uh, in terms of how they operate, I'd say maximum three seasons at this rate. Uh, they might be telling them to. Sure. Well, uh, that will dictate a lot of what happens. Uh, well, if it's two, they can go right back to the Shadow King. Yes. <laughs> um, if it's three, they should get something to in between. Yes. And and, I, and actually, I don't. To be clear, to clarify, I, that doesn't mean Jermaine Clement because while Aubrey Plaza, you could theoretically take a break with Aubrey Plaza and then bring her back for season three and have Jermaine Clement fill in season two. I think like the Shadow King can't be the main villain for the final two seasons of the show. No, <laughs> of course, this is wild speculation at this point since yeah. technically it has not been like canceled or anything like that. No, but, no, uh, no. I think it's coming back. I think it's got enough like oh, no, it's, season internet cool factor. Yeah, oh, and of course that. But I think it's and, uh, got enough good grace to to continue for now. Yeah, and uh, it will have ten episodes next season too, oh. which is <laughs> seems 
unnecessary, yeah. but we shall uh, find out. Yeah, I want to talk about like what we want to see going forward in a minute, but I think it's hard to not pay some credence to some of the stuff they did technically here, some of the stuff they did visually. I know that kind of stuff isn't so much your bag, but just it, this show is like so deeply rich in like references and and subtle stuff. Like there's so many Stanley Kubrick uh, references, particularly in the first episode. There's all these weird, cool things. I would recommend as a YouTube channel, New Rock Stars. They actually fell off from doing it, but they did extensive recaps of the first three episodes, just pointing out all these like subtle touches, and for whatever reason they stopped after three. But allegedly they're going to do more. I don't know, but uh, check those out. There's so much going on in this show that you don't notice. But just all these big things like musical numbers and the big bolero scene, which is one of the best things I've ever seen on television. The chalkboard scene, the, the House of Horrors, the world's angriest boy in the world... Uh, I haven't even mentioned it, but the, de- the, the Devil with the Yellow Eyes, um, which is the sort of more monstrous representation of the Shadow King. Like the kitchen scene where like David loses his mind and like all this stuff in the kitchen explodes and goes everywhere. Just so much, so much happening visually that, uh, and with, with David's power set and David having schizophrenia and everything, they had so much opportunity to fuck around and for it to not just be for the sake of it as I feel you might think it was in Doctor Strange and yeah just just visual representations of what's going on in David's head I found all of that absolutely amazing and even if like the narrative hadn't been good just some of the scenes they came up with were tremendous and I I feel everyone was talking about in particular the big uh the big music video with Aubrey Plaza dancing around and uh the Bolero scene but man I as as the dude that doesn't go wild for visuals what was your read on this because i was obviously losing my mind it was visually distinct in a very cool way it didn't feel just for the sake of it and like it captured the spirit of the show uh it enhanced the show everything looked beautiful all the time that is as much enthusiasm i can muster for this topic <laughs> oh man you no, are uh, breaking the heart of our most loyal listener who wants to hear us talk about the Bolero scene for 20 minutes. I'm sorry, Ben, I tried. It's actually gotten so crazy hot in the last 12 hours that, like, I'm massively dehydrated because it's been so cold recently. So, I have no patience. Alright, moving <laughs> for, us on to our visual, final topic for, for of visuals. the day. <laughs> <laughs> our final topic of the day. So, what we predictions, what do we want from the next season? So it ends... More weather talk. More, more weather talk. Weather. Uh, so the show ends really bizarrely with... Yes. Essentially, the Shadow King gets away after their whole plan fucks up. Which was great, actually. Yes, uh, I, I did like that. <laughs> that they come up with this huge, elaborate, sci-fi-ish yes. solution, and then it's like, nah. <laughs> I thought that was so perfectly uh, tone-appropriate for the show that, you know, like, these also are not the X-Men. Yeah. These are not, these are not these superheroes. Are, these are just some mutants. <laughs> yeah. They're well-funded. They are well-funded. Yes. And also, David is brand new to this whole thing. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, think not he's everything's... fully got a grip on everything. And I was like, nah, not quite. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of love how it just so simply and nonchalantly just failed. And how easily Jeremy and Clement just, like, walks out. After, yeah. How easily the Shadow King walks out. Yeah. Like, all of that was kind of pitch perfect. Yeah. Um, especially oh, just... since... Which was amazing, because they're really building to a point where it's like... 
either like they kept reminding us either everyone's going to die or one of us is going to win like they kept they essentially just like said that they could have had like signs flashing that message across and uh for them to get out of it in such a clever and appropriate way is kind of astounding in a lot of ways that was beautiful (laughs) uh so they get away uh division three i don't even remember what they're called but uh hamish linklater's crew they almost sort of realize oh i guess these guys aren't evil let's team up maybe i don't know they sort of leave that a little bit open they were pretty quick on that one (laughs) they were very quick on that one so david and sid are just hanging out on like a balcony and then this little floating orb appears out of nowhere and david says what the f and then gets sucked up into it and it flies away mike what was your immediate read and what the hell happened there my immediate read is i have no idea but I two thoughts. One, what I what I thought that was really effective was his desperation as soon as he realized he was stuck yes. in the prison from Superman and Krypton <laughs> was great. And like this really like tense note to end on where there's like this pure helpless desperation. It's not like calm, cool, like, okay, what the fuck just happened? It's like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> Please save me. Yeah. Um, Especially as a guy that has been forcibly like medicated and put in institutions in his life like literally being in a tiny prison is probably even more stressful but yeah yeah uh, two i i do worry about one thing <laughs> my experiences with matrix revolution and okay pirates of the caribbean at world's end have led me to think that people watched empire strikes back as a kid and were like i want to do that too our hero needs to be frozen in the metaphorical crypto, uh, carbonite. <laughs> and this is something... Jermaine that, Clement is our hero. He's frozen. Done. Yes. It was so very pa- painfully and patently obvious that that is what Matrix Revolution... Or Matrix Reloaded into Revolutions. Dead Bands Chess into At Worlds and did. And those concluding movies, like, stalled out of the gate so hard um, with the rescue scenes. A TV show has more room to maneuver, but I uh, that is always my first thought in that kind of scenario, which is you don't want to come up with a stalling mechanism. I don't think that's what they're trying to do. I'm just saying you don't want to stall the, the plot, the story, to do that. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. Sure. I think with a 10-episode show, you can afford to burn an episode or two on like a really fun heist, caper, rescue story. But uh, quite frankly, I, I feel especially burned on that particular device. And I do think it's genuinely notable that a key distinction between Empire and Revolutions at Dead Man's Chest was Empire did it with, while the most beloved character, not the main character. Indeed. And there's an, it's an entirely different dynamic. The movie cannot go on without the main, with the protagonist. The movie could go on without Han Solo. Yes, uh, and quite and quite frankly, they were literally like just in case Harrison Ford, who was on a picture by picture deal, refused to come back, which was a possibility. Like that's literally why they did that. Hmm. Like Pirates of the Caribbean was not going on without Johnny Depp. Neo was literally the one. He was literally Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like you could not go on without Jesus Christ in the Jesus Christ trilogy. Watch them do it when they reboot the Matrix. I know. <laughs> um, let's learn all about Morpheus as a kid. Muppet no, Baby Morpheus. No, baby. Uh, so to me it's worrisome Mm. because the show is not going on without david there's no tension there 
you you're so you're behind the eight ball on how you choose to tell the story in the rescue um if there's a rescue i should mm-hmm. say to clarify so that was actually genuinely my first thought which was whoa that was completely unexpected to oh not again i see yeah you make a good point because if you do the episode i proposed where it's a flashback that's one episode gone and then if you do an yep. episode where they're rescuing david that's two episodes gone what if they merged yep. them and it was like you cut back to them planning rescuing him the first time and then rescuing him this time i don't know but yeah that is a diff- that is a problem my first thought was are they actually going to do mojo in live action because that was my immediate assumption is mojo is the one that is behind that the devil with the yellow eyes already looks like mojo to me like there was all this speculation about who it was, and I was like, that's Mojo, that's clearly Mojo, it can't be anyone else. And they could have some explanation where the Shadow King once encountered Mojo, and now... It would be a really fucking weird thing to do, because of what Mojo is as a character, but this is a weird show, and Noah Hawley's a weird dude, so... I'd like to thank you, Matt, for uh, me presenting the Doomsday scenario, and you presenting... Okay, but let's now make it worse. <laughs> Let's bring back the stupidest character in the history of X-Men. Um, Adam X the Extreme, thank you much. That, did I'll I, say this. Did I just describe your nightmare to you? No, no, uh, I'll, just, I'll say this. One, Legion should be kind of like this thing where it's like, oh, you think this is unfilmable? Watch us. Yes. And Mojo. it already kind of is. <laughs> so Mojo is pretty much the epitome of that in the X-Men world, where there's no way you can make an actual movie. Yes. with mojo in it because like even mojo feels out of place in whatever interpretation i've seen him in so far mm-hmm. so i <laughs> that's mojo and, oh, we're, ta- we're talking about literal cartoons yes uh, <laughs> so i hope it just seems like the ultimate like oh you want it to connect to x-men okay we're connecting it to this you know yes. like you want to see us do Wolverine or Magneto? Nah, fuck you, buddy. Would you go in with the weird spineless slug man who controls television in a whole universe? Yeah, it's just that I... seems the most like visually. That's all I could think of was that. That seems like a Mojo type thing. Like he captures Wolverine in Wolverine and the X Men and does it. And uh, I just don't know. My, this is not helping my headache, Matt. This is not helping my headache. Well, um, luckily, no. <laughs> we get to finish now. So no, I I almost want to see him do it just to see what the fuck happens. Yeah, um, I hope it's not like a a long thing i think i hope it's no. like one and done but no and i do think you know this goes against a lot of my instincts with television but i do think legion is a show that they they could just be like fuck we're doing ten, we're doing an episodic season and it's gonna be 10 episodes and they're all gonna be completely different i think they could pull that off in a way that most shows could not do in a satisfying way um like that's always been like a a barrier of entry for me with Buffy. Like I've seen the first three and a half seasons, which as far as I know are the most well-liked seasons. Then I'm just like, sure. Oh, another villain. Yeah. This, that, villain is, this, this villain is killed again. That happened. That definitely. Yeah. Happened. They got, and, like, they um, started just doing weird non fighty stuff as they went on. Um, and, uh, I just, I was so underwhelmed by that. Anyway, that's, a, that's a totally separate conversation, yes. but it's more that, I do not like villain of the week shows. I do not like illness of the week shows. I do not like crime of the week shows. Okay. Uh, you don't like procedural not, shows. Yes. I do not like of the week shows. Uh, that is not to say that your show should feel like a movie. This has been a hot topic of conversation on TV critics. Your show can still feel like a show where it's like there's stuff that are wrapped up within an episode and then it all builds to the end. But uh, hmm. 
I would like to see Legion take on that challenge. I think that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, I feel with David's powers and, you know, the multiple personalities and everything, and how eclectic this little cast is in terms of, like, where they are in the X-Men universe, I feel they could easily do that. Yeah, so that would... I'd almost like to see them do that, then introduce a new villain. Like, a new uh, big villain. Yeah. yeah, well, if not, That's Noah Hawley just had a checklist of stuff that is considered undoable by the That'd main be films, and he was just like, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. <laughs> yeah, um, starting with, uh, obviously, the, the Phoenix Saga, because that's fucking undoable, <laughs> and it fucking sucks. But, uh, no, I actually think that's a really great note to end on, which is that Legion is kind of set itself up to be of limitless possibilities, yes. which can be a trap, it can be its undoing, but guess what? It had one really good season already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you'd you say great, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. I was very intrigued yeah. by it, and I thought, you know, it's high art yeah. in a way a lot of these shows aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was really good. I don't see how anyone who stuck with it didn't like it by the end, at the very least. Mm. And Episode 7, that, tremendous. You have that credibility already. You're probably getting at least one or two more. I mean, you're definitely getting one. You're probably getting two more seasons. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Like, just do a bunch of shit that you that no one thinks can be done. Exactly. And do a do a do a Mojo episode. Yes, and that was my biggest takeaway from this. It's that this show proved superhero stuff doesn't have to be one way, and that yep, that's very much been a narrative where everything is a Marvel movie or a DC movie or. You know, all those CW shows are the fucking same. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is basically the same as those. They have a very distinct feel to them. And so it must be this way. And then Legion's like, no, you can make a more sophisticated character-driven show if you want to. So do that. And I would like to see the films do that as well. It also... It continues the trend of three of the last four major X-Men related (laughs) properties feeling distinctly different from what you expect necessarily from a superhero movie or a superhero property. That's true. These are positive things. There's the through line of Mike and Matt's excellent adventures, uh, which you can find in its entirety on enterthereworld.com or soundcloud.com slash Mike and Matt. Check out everything. We, we got into Watchmen. It's a very odd, jumpy episode, but it's actually, I'm told, quite good uh, from people who've listened to it. Uh, we got stuff coming, have we ever? I guess next week we start Firefly. Yeah, I, I, we might be recording this week. We might be. Who which knows? means I should not have forgotten my DVD case of it at my home, and instead should have brought it to my girlfriend's where I'm staying for the week. But <laughs> you know, we roll with the punches on the at Enter the Real World. Yes, I bought or it on... the Real World. <laughs> that one too i bought it on blu-ray after you brought to my attention that they took it off netflix so uh i'm good to go but we'll see if my thomas has actually <laughs> found a copy of it by the time we record uh yeah so firefly now serenity later is the name of our next podcast miniseries and uh yeah i hope you guys like firefly because that's what you're going to be hearing about for several weeks now no place to hide yeah, there's a there's a TV show called Gift. We got to review. We should review the pilot if nothing else. Okay, um, we'll talk. It'll be directed by Brian Singer. Um, he's a child rapist. <laughs> it's been a while since we pointed that out. You're right.